get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part is the data is verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you are being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, they are the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address your concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiations. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you are a seasoned attending or just finishing training, Resolve is here to support you every step of the way. Visit resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review negotiations and salary data. Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Kraus explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. As physicians, one of our top priorities is to help patients through crises and assess their mental health. We are seen as pillars of strength when others are facing turmoil, but we are often denied the chance to show our own weaknesses. Many of us are afraid to seek help when we are at our most vulnerable for fear of retribution from our employers, licensing boards, or insurance companies. This in part has led to physicians having the highest suicide rate in the U.S. among all professions. And in a 2023 report, 9% of male physicians and 11% of female physicians reported having suicidal thoughts. The study authors even noted that they felt that physicians were under-reporting their distress because of privacy concerns. So today I have invited Dr. Dominic Corrigan. He trained as a psychiatrist and he founded Physicians Anonymous to join us here to talk about the mental health crisis factors that lead to it, and things that we can do to help physicians when they're in turmoil. Welcome to the show, Dominic. Thank you, Tammy, for having me. It's a real privilege to be here. I cannot tell you how impressed I am with the work that you're doing to help physicians. I think this is something we need to talk about. I think we need to get the word out there that there are places to get help for physicians, even when they're in fear you know, of raising their hand and getting formal evaluation. So thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. First of all, can you tell us about Physicians Anonymous? 
what it does, maybe how you got started, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. So as you said, I've worked for 20 years as a psychiatrist. And during that time, I had kind of two faces. One was the outward facing successful specialist, family man, PTA, dabbled in a number of startups, uh, charities, and so on. And then inside, I was basically burning out. I also have been blessed with recurrent depressive disorder. And then ultimately, around the time of COVID, managed to develop an addiction. So really very fortunate. But ultimately, it came down to really poor coping mechanisms with the stress of particularly of being a physician, but also to some degree, you know, life in general. But I was too afraid to reach out for help. You know, I was afraid of the licensing board, of career repercussions. The irony is, of course, if I had reached for help and got it early enough, maybe I would not have had the life and career crash that I did. I could have had a situation where I was voluntarily working with the regulators, but now it came to me involuntarily, unfortunately. So the lesson for me was to my patients really lost out when I was no longer able to serve them. And I'm not alone in kind of crashing out of medicine or at least having to take a prolonged break to get better. I was worried about patient care. I was worried about my colleagues. So myself and a psychology PhD based just outside of Baltimore, we co-founded Physicians Anonymous as a safe space for people like me to go before the, the train crash. So the idea is that it's fully anonymous, fully confidential, peer support available to any medical student or physician. We run a number of groups on a weekly basis in different time zones, different days of the week. They're all facilitated by MDs or therapists or people with mental health training, combination of these. No licensing numbers are required. No records are taken. It is peer support with an element of coaching, positive psychology. It's not a clinical intervention, but there's really good trial evidence around peer support in different professions, particularly in medicine because we're far more likely to open up to a colleague, especially if it's one that we're not necessarily working alongside or with, because you know we get it. We've walked the wards and the hospital corridors late at night. We know what people are going through. So we offer the peer support groups. We also have a number of coaches on our books who are on our Physicians Anonymous website who have their own experiences and different aspects of recovery for burnout or finding different careers or handling medical legal crises and so on. That is a charge service directly with the coaches themselves, but you can find them through our website. And then the other point is advocacy. So we're really small at the moment, but we're able to kind of shout quite loudly with the power of anonymity. So we're able to say things that other people perhaps are too afraid to say or fearful of their careers and so on. And so that gives us a, a voice. We're, we're looking to build alliances with like-minded organizations. But ultimately, it comes down to prevention. You know, we should not be in a situation where over 50% of physicians in the U.S. have burnout, according to the 2023 Medscape survey. I think, you know, it's gone up by 10% since COVID, unsurprisingly. We should not be in this position. Something is dreadfully wrong with our system. The problem is not the physicians. We're a resilient bunch. We are not lacking in grit to get through med school, to get through residency, to do all those things requires a huge amount of resilience. So it's not that. Problem is the systemic factors, of course, in interaction with our own personal coping styles and personalities, 
and so on. But the main thing is if the most serene, you know, Yoda-like position is going to eventually start suffering in a toxic environment or an environment that is just you know, continually toxic for them. So yeah, that's what we're about, Tammy. I love how you turn the situation that you faced personally into a mission to help other physicians, you know, who are somewhere along that spectrum of what you personally experienced. I think that is simply amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just became so aware during this process of the barriers to physicians getting help. The main thing is fear. And this is something that we encounter all the time because actually, in most cases, it's far better to find out what's going on and to find a way to get the help that we need than for things to deteriorate. Things are foisted upon us, unfortunately. So I really miss seeing patients. So this kind of gave me that kind of helping others thing that is in our doctor DNA, I think. So I find it immensely rewarding along with the coaching work. But the delight of being a coach instead of a registered physician is that we don't have nearly the same medical malpractice. Well, there's no medical malpractice because it's, it's not a medical procedure. So our insurance risk is way lower. Certainly compared to psychiatry, we have people coming to see us because they want to get better and they want help. They're looking for you know the answers. Whereas psychiatry, unfortunately, a lot of people were forced to see a psychiatrist, you know, whether they liked it or not. It's enormously rewarding. We have a huge mission ahead of us, you know, a million physicians registered in the US, 52% burnout rate. And a very small proportion of us actually get help. Studies say, you know, less than half, sometimes down to 13% of physicians would actually reach or do actually reach out for help. So that's hundreds of thousands of us who are suffering in silence. And we really have to do something about it. So part of it is getting physician well-being on everyone's agenda. We should be talking about it from pre-med onwards. We should be learning kind of skills to manage stresses that medicine brings and ultimately to thrive as physicians. But there's no time in the curriculum for these things. We invented a program called the, the Burnout Vaccine, which is based on a number of trials. It sort of brings the best of peer support and various other strategies around kind of self-care, boundaries, learning to say no, dealing with imposter syndrome, and so on. We're starting to offer this now to you know organizations at residency level, med student level, so that they get these skills that can hopefully get them just coping a little bit better with the continual kind of trauma that most modern medicine exposes us to. You know, you mentioned learning to say no. I think that has been the most valuable tool for me in the last couple of years. We are always encouraged to serve on more committees, you know, be on the oh, executive yeah. council, volunteer for whatever, but everything is volunteer in your own time, in addition yep. to your clinical duties, and you're made to feel like you are not a good physician, not a team player, if you say no to those things. For me, it has been life-changing to say, no, I'm not doing any more things. <laughs> and Absolutely. Not things. Yeah. So we, we mentioned the culture of medicine. There is a real kind of self-sacrificing culture. Yeah. And we self-select for that because we want people who are prepared to go the extra mile for their patients, you know, and that is good. And that is what we want out of our positions, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the system is inexhaustible. The demands are inexhaustible. So 
if you want something done, go to a busy person, right? I was the one that would never say no. So I was one that was on all these committees, et cetera, I guess a bit like you, plus all these other things because someone had to do it. But my much happier colleagues who were still working and not burned out were the ones that you know knew how to say no. So that's an essential skill, saying no nicely. It's just kind of how you phrase things, but also your mindset about, right, I have a certain amount of bandwidth that's going to be divided you know, in the following way. Unless you're going to magic some more bandwidth for me, I've got to drop something in order to do this other thing. So there's lots of ways around it. But as you say, these are not skills we learn in med school residency. Hopefully, they'll make a difference to people going forward. I love that you've developed this program. All of those things you mentioned, you know, peer support, imposter syndrome, learning to say no, those are all so valuable and something hopefully you learn along the way. But if you knew them from the beginning, maybe we wouldn't be in this crisis in the first place. Absolutely. Yep. What do you think some of the barriers to care are for physicians? Like you said, I think so few physicians actually reach out for help. What do you think is driving that? Number one is fear. And a lot of fear is based on rumor and mythology and misinformation. So I was absolutely terrified of my licensing board and the idea of a physician health program or practitioner health program and so on. And actually, I was wrong because I was treated very reasonably and I was in an area where, and I'm not going to go into kind of detail for anonymity reasons, but there's huge variation in how states approach and different countries approach physicians in difficulty. So you could be lucky in one of the states that's very kind of compassion focused and understands physicians and has kind of physician-run physician health programs, and they get it, and often they themselves have been in difficulty and then have come up, have got better and come up through the ranks and are now running these programs. Others are incredibly punitive. Here's an example, right? If you're a physician who takes some Paxil for some anxiety, okay, and you get it under medical supervision, and it makes you a better physician because you're less anxious and then you're a physician who's had six DUIs and refuses to get help. There's a huge difference between those two physicians, right? I've met both in my professional life. But in many places, they're handled the same way. It shouldn't be like that. Like when you're applying for credentialing, paperwork says, have you had any you know, psychiatric treatment and, and so on, or, or substance use disorders and things like that. Again, there's huge variation depending on the organization and the state. But if I were in charge, these questionnaires would say, have you had this treatment? If not, why not? Like at some point, we all need a bit of extra support. And if we're showing early symptoms of anxiety, depression, burnout, substance use, you know, we should be able to reach out for help and nip it in the bud before it becomes a problem or patients get hurt or it costs so much more to fix it once the train crash has happened. You know, you want to prevent if my story could be a warning to others is actually, you know, do your research, get as much information as you can as possible from physicians in your area who have been through this process and arm yourself with this information to get help. Ideally, whilst you're still kind of cognitively able to do these things, because unfortunately, if we are in a toxic environment and we're starting to decompensate because the stress is greater than our coping mechanisms, then at some point, you know, our cognition is so focused on survival, we lose 
the ability to do a lot of the higher levels of thinking that are needed to make the decisions. So again, another reason why early intervention and detection is important. So we should be able to go to our administrators and say, I'm not feeling right. Something is not right. You know, help me. But we're terrified of doing that. 95% of the people that come to our meetings that I meet through this Physicians Anonymous role are absolutely petrified of that. And the 5% that are not have been through the process like me and have come out the other side and have gone, well, it wasn't that bad, but I wish I'd known that at the beginning. So all I can say is there's resources out there for people who want to get clinical help and get it off the record. And unfortunately, in some places that people still feel that is necessary. But if you need the clinical help, you have absolutely have to get it. Whether you can get it off the record or on the record, you have to get the help. If I've got a broken leg, I'm not going to try and fix it myself. Do you know what I mean? I will go to the right specialist to get that done. And unfortunately, depending on where you are, there may be additional repercussions in terms of oversight by the regulators and so on. And that's what we need to bring in consistency you know, across the country. We need to bring in compassion and reasonableness. And we need to deal with different cases based on their merits and their risks. The guy in Paxil is you know, objectively no risk to any patient and, in fact, has done a good thing by getting help. But he could be punished if he's in the wrong place at the wrong time and says the wrong thing to somebody. He or she could be punished because of the way the system is at the moment. So we do need to reform the system, how it reacts, as well as we skill up in terms of our own management of the stresses and strains and the joys of the career of medicine. You had mentioned that your group that does the peer group meetings is all anonymous. So obviously that wouldn't be reportable to a licensing yeah. board or an insurance company. Could the same be true for coaching versus counseling? If someone was trying to get help and they needed one-on-one help, would the same be true for that? So yeah, coaching again is a non-clinical intervention. Counseling may or may not be, depending on the counselor and the circumstances, obviously a clinical intervention. And that tends to be something that licensing authorities and credentialing authorities are interested in. But I mean, regrettably, I know of stories of people traveling hundreds of miles out of state, paying cash only to get the help that they need because they're so afraid. And I don't know whether their fear is justified or not whether they would be treated with compassion or I don't know enough about their situation, but this is a recurring story throughout physicians that we hear just on a weekly basis. So we really need to make it easier, you know, reward people, not punish them for reaching out for help, you know, but it's the same in physical health. You know, how many of us got COVID and then staggered back to the wards, you know, (laughs) probably streaming virus because we felt like we had a duty to do that. How many of us have a bad flu or, you know, some sort of other injury and, you know, like... You've got to go to work. <laughs> I know, you know, like the recovery time of a physician post an appendectomy or cesarean section is way faster than the average person because we're like, got to get back to work. I mean, this is crazy. We should be self-caring. I think there's a level of pathology there. You know, I've naturally worked out that I'm also a workaholic, so hence you know, stopping clinical medicine and starting up, you know, 19 different other things, of which Physicians Anonymous is one of them. And I have to say, it's my main joy and my main focus. We're often, part of the problem with saying no is there's a workaholism as well. And again, that's around, got to work, got to feel good about myself, can't say no, let people down. There's a whole lot of 
cognitive stuff going on there that's really amenable to coaching and or therapy. So to answer your question, what we offer at Physicians Anonymous, there's no record of anything and we couldn't report you anyway because we don't know who you are. And not that we'd want to, but the important thing is that people feel safe to come in. And what's interesting, right, is people come in anonymously, cameras off, and usually by the third or fourth meeting, the camera goes on and then their first name appears. And then like now it's about 50-50 people who have their names and cameras on, their full name, surname and cameras on. So trust is built very quickly within that space. It's lovely. Like we got a comment the other day from someone who said, I wish I'd known about this or I wish it had existed 20 years ago because I've never spoken about my own feelings with another physician. At work, it's all very business and patient focused and rightly so. But at the same time, if someone is really struggling, is there a space for us to be able to you know, look after our colleagues? in the same organization, well, you know, a lot of physicians don't feel that they can talk to colleagues because it's so competitive and they might be seen as weak and what's it going to do to their career and motion prospects and all of that. It's a complicated ecosystem that we're living in. And finance is a big issue as well. Are you talking about like the pressure to keep earning that big paycheck, student loans? What kind of things do you think are the biggest problems when it comes to physicians? All of the above. The numbers around student loan amounts are insane. You know, what people are now graduating with. Like in my day, it was, I don't know, 100 odd grand, and now it's two, 300, depending on the, the studies you look at. You know, resident salaries are not great. What's interesting is then you go up to kind of an attending level salary, and, you know, that's a substantial jump, isn't it? Especially if you work in private, and there's a whole gap in our knowledge base around finances. So I'm glad you're dealing with that and educating people you know, through your platform because we just have no clue. Like We've got this paycheck. We don't know what to do with it. And we're clever people. We don't have the time to work out you know, the details of share trading or things like that. You know, There's the financial pressures that we're under, especially if you know, the physician is the main breadwinner, as is often the case, and they've got young families and so on. There is big pressure there. And then the other side of the coin is the follow the money in our healthcare system. We have perverse incentives, particularly in the procedural specialties, is the more procedures you do, the more money, more revenue for the organization. So how can we get you doing more procedures? And as a result, people who are in a lot of fear around finance are likely to be driven towards the higher revenue specialties. And then the lower earning specialties kind of lose out. You know, good people may overlook specialties we really need that don't earn as much as the orthopedists and the cardiothoracics, you know. It's a complicated thing. Financial worries are consistently in the top five of kind of causative factors of poor mental health in physicians. And I think we can do a lot around the education space or managing our own money. But again, I think there are systemic issues around how healthcare is funded, especially in the US. You know, administration burden is, you know, usually number one on pretty much every study that's been done, the number one factor behind physician burnout. So if you don't fill out your EHR correctly, you don't get the right codes, insurer doesn't get billed, and then you get a person with a clipboard coming down and telling you off, right? True. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you're being pressured to see more patients. So how are you going to you know, do the right 
you know, detail level of notes and all those sorts of things. It's incredibly complicated. So, um, you know, I worked in the UK for a while and to have a single payer system where you did not have to worry about insurance denials and start writing motivation letters and saying, actually, I think you should pay for this person's cancer treatment because they need it. And if you don't, they're going to lose their house. You know, that's an awful burden for a physician because how can you ethically withhold treatment just because the patient can't pay or because their insurer, which they're paid into, can't pay? These same insurers, rightly so, they're earning a return for their investors, but at the same time, do they need to be earning as many billions as they are when they're also refusing, in many cases, the stories we hear unreasonably or irrationally, mm-hmm. certainly not compassionately. You know, there's got to be a balance here, of course, but just the dealing with insurers, dealing with the HRs is a huge burden. So, you know, I'm encouraged that there's some technological improvements, things like AI scribes and human scribes as well. You know, that seems to be quite useful. But at the end of the day, I think we need a fundamental look at how our systems are funded and how we can optimize that towards you know patient care and physician care. Happy doctors, healthy doctors are more likely to be productive. We have lower medical malpractice issues, lower error rates with lower burnout scores. So it's a no-brainer for even for the financial people. Got to look after your staff who are at the coalface delivering, and then your outcomes and your revenues will be better. You know, before the show, you and I were talking and you mentioned that each industry has its own stressors and finding a peer support group among your own profession can be so valuable in trying to find solutions to what you're feeling inside or feel validated. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't want to sound like an arrogant physician and we're so special because in many ways we are privileged. Okay. We get to be there with patients through the worst day of their life, the last day of their life, or the best day of their life. We're in such a privileged position and I never want to take away from that at all. But at the same time, it is enormously stressful. We've covered a number of these stresses today, but there is this concept of moral injury where you know as a physician what the right thing to do is, but because of the circumstances, whether it's resourcing or policies or lack of insurance or whatever, you're not able to do the right thing for that patient. Over time, these moral injuries can build up. We're also exposed to an enormous amount of trauma. You know, I think kind of between acute medicine and kind of the armed forces, we're exposed to similar amounts of kind of death and dying. And first responders, of course, you know, we're exposed to the best and the worst of humanity on a daily basis in very high doses for a very long time. And I think these things add up, especially if you don't have a way of dealing with them. And especially if you are culturally, as we are in the West, kind of just sucking it up and getting on with it and moving on to the next one. And besides, there's no time because of revenue pressures or waiting lists or whatever. And, you know, we don't have a culture of debriefing really properly and talking to each other and all of that. We've got a long way to go culturally. So physician peer support, like any profession-specific peer support, is with people that get it. They have worn the bloodied feces-covered scrubs. They have been shouted at by family members and attendings. Many have gone through their own existential crises, whether they're burnout or mental health or spiritual crisis or career crisis, whatever. 
we're not going to judge. We're about being a human being who happens to be a healer in the room rather than I'm a physician. Here's my resume. You know, every alcoholic eventually knows about Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's been a bit cheeky of us to kind of take positions anonymous. I'm in a 12-step program, and I'm enormously grateful and respectful to founders of 12 Steps. But we want every position to know about Physicians Anonymous because we hopefully will be there for a long time. And the irony is, though, should we need to be here at all? You know, what if we didn't need to exist? What if it was safe for physicians to get you know, on-the-record help? What if people created their own self-help groups or peer support groups, should I say, in their own hospitals and supported each other? Ultimately, we would love it if we didn't need to exist in a few decades' time, but it's going to take that long to kind of change the direction of the good ship U.S. healthcare, hopefully without hitting too many icebergs. I think there's no one that gets it like another physician, really. Early on, we had suggestions to maybe we expand to all healthcare providers or bring in you know, nurses or PAs and so on. And we consulted widely and almost unanimously it was, no, we really want to have a physician-only space where we can just be ourselves, which is not to say that the other space is not important. And you know, sure. if someone wants to go ahead and create these spaces, they should. You know, but So we focused on physicians because we get it. I mean- People have phoned in from hospital before. We've had physicians who are like, yeah, I'm currently in a psychiatric hospital with severe depression. I'm in group therapy, but none of them are physicians. None of them get it. I'm phoning in. It's you know the evening here. I'm phoning into this peer support group because you guys get it. And that was wonderfully heartwarming for us. You know, We've had feedback from people saying, this has literally saved my life, which is so rewarding to hear that. But if you ask me for data, I couldn't give you data because we don't collect that level. We know how many people come to our meetings and that's really about it. And we know that the numbers are going up as the word spreads. So we ask everyone to spread the word about Physicians Anonymous to their colleagues because you never know who is quietly suffering. It's usually the ones that are the most smiling and happy and successful appearing that are actually really struggling inside. You never know who might need it it might well save a life. I think there is a shared trauma, a camaraderie among physicians mm-hmm. that we should embrace instead of shying away from it. Like you said, you're kind of afraid to talk to the physician down the hall. You don't want to let anyone know that you're in crisis sometimes, even when you are. But you don't even need to be in crisis. You could just be going, compared to a month ago, my performance is not what it was. My yeah. sleep is not what it was. I don't have the energy to exercise. I'm more snippy with my spouse and kids. Like something's not right. We're available to people at any level. So whether they're in crisis or in hospital or just querying whether they might be burning out or just looking to vent after. Our ideal is it's two in the morning. You've just come off an ER shift. It's been a horror show and your spouse is asleep. You know, you can't talk to anyone else on the team because they're all ending their shift and they just want to go home and sleep. Like, who can you talk to? If we have enough groups going at different time zones, we want people to be able to just click on physiciansanonymous.org, look at the anonymous meetings and go, okay, there's one in Australia happening right now, but it's global. I'm going to join in. And we actually have one where two facilitators, one is in Australia. And so that's on 8 a.m. on a Monday morning. And one is in, I think, Kansas. 
which is a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and so we have like this pan-Pacific group. And it, it doesn't matter which countries people are from, as I said at the beginning, the problems are the same. Yes, we have our own unique funding issues and insurance and everything else, but there are a lot of countries with similar challenges. But there's something about being a doctor that no matter where you come from or your background or your country, whatever, that, that really unites us. You know, when you meet another physician at a conference and they could be from you know, Kazakhstan or wherever, when you meet them, within five minutes, you've got common ground with them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's quite amazing. It's globally, we're part of a very privileged group, but at the same time, a group that takes on a huge burden that I think we need to be more aware of and speak about and start to deal with. Do you think we can change this culture in the United States that kind of keeps physicians from seeking help, from saying that, hey, you know, today's not my best day, I need a little encouragement, or hey, I'm so far on the spectrum, I'm suicidal, I need help. Mm -hmm. Do you think we can change that culture? I'm a terminal optimist. I think we can. But I am also a realist. I think the mountain is a very steep one that we're going to have to climb. There's encouraging signs, things like, I mean, I wish it didn't have to exist. I wish that she was still alive, but, you know, organizations like the Lorna Breen Foundation have been instrumental in bringing this conversation to the top levels of government and to get funding. So if you check out the Lorna Breen Foundation, they're doing amazing work in this space, right? And then the little guys like us, Physicians Anonymous, there's actually quite a few groups out there that are all working in this space. We work with some lovely physicians at Physician Coach Support. So they offer free coaching for physicians. And there are individual physicians who are offering coaching now as well. Again, this will be kind of off the record. You have to privately fund it. But physicians that are properly trained coaches have years of experience, can really be hugely supportive. So that's available. Also, there are things like the ADA, Americans with Disability Act, and various other initiatives around common standards for you know federal health programs and for licensing boards and for credentialing authorities. So there are some rules about that. They're not always being adopted. There's a recent survey saying like less than half of the US states were kind of compliant with these guidelines. Basically, it's a compassionate approach to a non-privacy invading approach to questions. So these things are happening, but they're not happening fast enough. We need to get some consistency around different states' approaches to physicians in difficulty. And also, I think there's a, another element, which is tort reform. So if you're in some states, you can get sued, you know, almost without statute of limitation for stuff that really has nothing to do with what you did as a physician. But if they've got a great attorney who's able to convince a jury, then, you know, the patient could get a huge payout. And there are any number of cases where there's no medical science behind what happened, but there was a great act from the attorney. So, you know, these things need to happen as well, because one of the most stressful things that can happen in a physician's career is you know, getting sued, or certainly the first time. Maybe it gets easier. I don't know. But these are all important stress factors that could be reduced by sensible legislation. Of course, we're all independent states, part of a federation. So there's going to be some variation. But if we can get it as humane as possible and as common sense as possible, you know, because the higher the payouts, the higher the insurance costs, the more physicians are going to have to charge to cover their insurance costs, you know, so no one wins. 
I think we can do it. I think we need to have coordinated action and we need to all be pulling in the same direction and we need to be having conversations both you know, in our hospital corridors, in our administration offices, but also right at the top. We need to be having conversations you know, with the top government about the things that need to change because we are sitting on a serious demographic time bomb because we're going to be short of tens thousands of physicians over the next decade or two, depending on which study you look at. People are dropping out of medicine and, you know, preventably in many cases, I think. And so that's just compounding the shortage. It's hard to see how ChatGPT is going to take over all of our jobs. So I think there'll still be need for real physicians for some time, unless... (laughs) You never know what's around the corner with AI, but for now, someone <laughs> we're going to need the human beings to do this work. We need to have a plan to address that. Oh, shortage of residency posts. That's the other one. That's oh, true. I don't know if you knew that, but it's the numbers have not increased since nineties, I think. Not properly increased anyway. So like <laughs> how many are we training and how are we gonna fix these huge gaps? We need to increase, you know, residency places and we need to allocate the funding for that, just as another example. So complicated ecosystem, but very fixable with the right people pulling in the right direction. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about, you know, the stressors that affect physicians uniquely as a profession, talking about maybe some of the ways to fix it, talking about ways for physicians to get help, whether it be, you know, individually at the local level or coming to a group like yours where it's anonymous and peer-based. I think the work you're doing is phenomenal. Thank you. It's so rewarding and I strongly encourage people to check us out. And if you're feeling, you know, moved, reach out and Find out about becoming a group facilitator if you're interested, or if you're a coach, we can meet you. And if you're aligned with us, we can put you on our website. So people who are burning out can, can find you through, you know, the website gets quite a lot of traffic specifically for physicians with burnout challenges. And we're looking, we're always looking to grow and create new peer support groups. The most important thing is just to spread the word of our existence. If you have the bandwidth to contribute to some to a worthy organization amongst your listeners. We'd love to hear from you. And can you remind us again how to find you on the internet? So physiciansanonymous.org, one word, physiciansanonymous.org. Or just Google that. Or also I go by the pseudonym Dominic Corrigan. He was a 19th century Irish physician. So if you Google Dominic Corrigan, you'll see Corrigan's secret door. Between his consulting rooms, he had a secret corridor where he'd go and escape patients and go and I don't quite know what he was doing. I like to think he was holding a peer support group. He was probably having a quick cigar and a little sip of whiskey or something. But whatever he was doing, he had his own recharge process and escape from the hecticness of life. So that's kind of why we've gone with this idea. So that's what the physician support is about. So it's been an absolute pleasure being on this podcast with you. I tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity. For anyone who's listening today, if you are in distress, whether you're just on the verge of burnout, whether you are full down that spectrum and maybe you're suicidal, please reach out. Reach out to somebody, whether it's your best friend at work, whether it's a counselor, whether it's Physicians Anonymous, the suicide hotline, please reach out. Please get help. 
And I hope you will all tune in again next week to Grand Rounds.